And how many of you believe, truthfully, it is the year of triumph? And uh, we've certainly had uh, our share of things to triumph over, so we certainly qualify. I saw uh, a picture of a slide. Y'all remember when you were little in grade school and they had those old metal slides you went down? And by the time you got down, half your flesh was off of you because the sun would heat. I saw somebody take that picture. You know what a cheese grater is. You know, you hold it with a little handle there. And they superimposed the grater on the slide, and then they said if 2020 were a slide. <laughs> it may be exactly the way you feel today, but Scripture tells us that Jesus always leads us in triumph. How often? Always. That would mean that no matter what we're going through or dealing with individually or corporately or even as a nation, uh, He always leads us in triumph. The important thing to understand today at the outset and uh, this, this particular graphic from, uh, I think it is episode 9 of Band of Brothers, uh, shows you exactly how the soldiers reacted when they came across just one of a thousand concentration and work camps throughout Europe. And the seedbed of that, of course, is the idea that this particular group of people is less than everybody else. And ultimately, if the world were rid of the Jews, the world would be a better place and so they went systematically throughout Europe trying to do that, to sanitize Europe, not just of Jews, but of gypsies and others they disagree with politically. And that's what they found. And this goes to show you that what is in the heart can manifest outwardly. This is not that long ago, and historically it's just really a blip compared to all the stories together of man's inhumanity to man. And the reason this has to be dealt with and dealt with at the real issue level is because it can reproduce itself. All racism is is prejudice, discrimination, and antagonism directed towards a person or a people based on their membership or association with a particular racial group, ethnic group, culture, etc. And, and fundamentally, and get this, and Tim mentioned this, it's a spirit of division. And it comes from the enemy. There are people who are divided over race and color, divided over ethnicity, divided over language. They're divided over denominationalism. There are people who are denominational racists. They think they are God's gift to the church and no one else is going to heaven. So this can manifest in a lot of ways, but if you go back to the common denominator, you're dealing with a spirit of division. I love what 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Look around this room and say, I see you. If you love what you see, then it's possible for you to truthfully love God. Otherwise, that's just not going to happen. The root of racism is actually fear. And the bottom line is the fruit of racism is hate. Now, love can eliminate both the root and the fruit of racism because perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear, the root as well as the fruit. You know, there was this uh, Japanese soldier, and his name is Yokawi Shoichi. In 26 years old, he was drafted by the Japanese army in 1941. And at that time, a Japanese soldier was taught, you do not surrender under any circumstances. You flee, you protect yourself, you run to fight another day, but you don't surrender. 
Well, a funny thing happened in 1945 on the deck of the USS Missouri. On August 15, 1945, the Japanese unconditionally surrendered to the Allied forces. But this man didn't get the memo. What he did is he ran into a cave behind a waterfall, and he lived off of small animals in the land and fish, and he survived this way up until 1972 on the Isle of Guam that the United States took back. He was discovered by two hunters, and they, he tried to attack them, but they were able to subdue him and turn him in, and he began to tell his story. Since that time, up until 1972, he thought the war was still on. Well, I want to announce to you today, the war is over, and it's time we started living like it. Somebody needs to inform people that this war is due season over and we need to operate in terms of influence like it is over. Turn to somebody and tell them it's over in Jesus' name. When was it defeated 2,000 years ago? The power to actually defeat this was put in the earth over 2,000 years ago. The nature of racism is a spirit of division, and any division is inspired by the devil. But Jesus said this in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, aren't you glad for that? Who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The hostility between Jew and Gentile, but the hostility between God and man, and the hostility between peoples. In other words, when we are as a child of God, uh, born again and walking with God, we are the most likely to be free from the chains and the attitudes associated with racism. In fact, when I years ago went to Lakewood Church at Brother Osteen's funeral, all the time up until that point where he died, that church was one-third black, one-third Hispanic, and one-third white. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Why? Because people of faith are most likely to treat people as people are made in God's image. There is no greater force to deal with racism than the church of Jesus Christ. Genuine Christians. I said genuine Christians versus the poser reality and variety. I want to just help you with something here. Because I don't think that a lot of white people in this country understand the visceral reaction to George Floyd being killed by this cop. All those minutes with his knee on his neck, just callously executing this man on a public street in full view. Now, I have my own views about this particular man. I look at that man's face, and I saw that video, and I see nothing but a demonized individual, a tool of the devil to steal and kill and destroy, and justice is coming his way. But the average white person doesn't understand the visceral reaction, the, the solidarity felt in the black community, regardless of where they live all over this nation and even around the world. So I want to help you understand this by using an illustration. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, there was a visceral reaction among all Americans. If you weren't alive during that time, and <clears throat> I was not alive during that time, I do know some people in this room that were alive at that time, But it's captured in its essence in, in the movie about Pearl Harbor. And when you see the attack on the ships and you see the death and the destruction and the bombs and the fire and the aftermath, and there's a scene where they literally pull up a net full of soldiers or, or Navy men that were, that were killed in the process, and you see the president's reaction, you know, portrayed by John Voigt, you have this visceral reaction, how dare they? 
and you want to go do something. The problem is, if you don't do something led by the Holy Ghost, you end up going throughout America, rounding up every Japanese American who had nothing to do with what the Imperial Navy did to the United States. We all were alive, most of us, maybe some too young, and the reason that we held this service today was because our children's programs began today, and they weren't going to be exposed to some of this, but we all can remember what happened on 9-11. My mother-in-law had passed away, and her funeral was planned for that very day, and turned on the TV, Mark Randall had called me, and there it was, planes flying into the World Trade Center, this terrorist attack. Every American had a visceral reaction. Pat Tilly played for the NFL, resigned his contract, and joined the military to fight because of what he perceived as this threat. We all have that reaction. And yet, at the same time, it would be wrong to look at every person of Arabic or Semitic descent with somehow suspicious eyes that they're going to do something to you as well. In other words, all of us can relate to the visceral reaction. What we can't do is act in a way that's inconsistent with the Word of God and the love of God. That's the key here. But a lot of Americans can understand this when it's in that kind of a context. Well, in uh, Luke chapter 10, I want you to, to look at this with me, just as, a, as an introduction to what we're doing today. Turn to somebody and tell them, Jesus is the answer. The love of God is the answer. I'm going to start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, then who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, how many know don't mess with Jesus, he'll get you every time? <laughs> I mean, I can imagine the disciple just sitting back and going, got him again, amen. The wisdom that came out of the mouth of our Lord. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and when they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Mm-hmm. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now watch this. Jewish priest, Jewish Levite, are you here? Jewish man beat up by a robber, but it's a Samaritan who the Jews hated and the Samaritans hated the Jews that stopped and took pity on this man. Watch this. He went to him and took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He took the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when he, I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And guess what? The same command is over you and me today. Go and do likewise. And compassion overrule anything that may have programmed you to think differently about people that are different than you are. So I just want to explain this to you that uh, there's a way to triumph over racism. But it's never going to be legislated by a government. You can't protest enough or even write enough to get it. It can't happen that way. And you should obviously raise your voice to injustice. That's not a problem. Writing and protest are not the same thing. You can't pressure somebody, bully somebody, or shame somebody into this triumph. It won't work. In today's world, you're no longer judged just by what you say. You're judged because you didn't say anything. That's not going to get somebody triumph over racism. There's no power there to make it happen, no matter what the intentions are. Are you here today? Uh, somebody calls you a racist and you're not a racist, that in itself is a racist action. And that kind of thing needs to be called out because it doesn't produce any life. It doesn't produce any good. It doesn't affect any change. You know, the Bible says of our heart, according to Jeremiah, the heart is desperately deceitful. We have a hard time even engaging our own hearts, let alone run around judging everybody else's hearts. So if you've been prone to do that, here's a counsel for you. Shut up. Scripture says be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Your job is to focus on your heart. There won't be any mass triumph over racism. There won't be any institutional triumph over racism. The only way you're going to overcome racism is one heart at a time. Come on, shout it out. One heart at a time by the power of God. So take these down and meditate on this. How to triumph over racism is a work for a genuine Christian. Only a genuine Christian is going to take this up. Only a genuine, authentic believer is going to say, yes, I want to see this in my life. I want to see this in everyone's life because that's how we are ordained to live. It's actually a misnomer for you and I to speak of people that look differently than, differently than us as a different race. There is one race, actually. Poodles come in all shapes and sizes. There's white poodles, black poodles, brown poodles. Our poodle is, you know, chocolate brown with well, the highlights of a caramel-colored brown. They're little ones that weigh a few pounds. They're big ones. I saw a, a, a poodle the other day that was as big as a house. <laughs> the thing was six months old, already 80 pounds, and it was already at the top of their cage. This thing was enormous. But they're all dogs. They're all poodles. Part of the reason is we don't even understand how God made us in the first place. Hallelujah. 
First of all, you must become spiritually educated about the nature of racism. Notice what I said. You must become spiritually educated because it's a spiritual issue. You cannot defeat spiritual issues with natural or carnal tools. It will never work. And people of the Spirit know this. People of the Word know this. We see God doing great things within faith communities, but it does not work to keep on trying those old tire remedies that don't have any power to affect change. If anyone should think differently about how to handle these issues, it should be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Watch this. It is a sin issue, not a skin issue. And if you don't see it as a sin issue, it can never be remedied. Like always, everybody say always. always. The Word has the answer. Yes. I said the Word has the answer. Yes. The Bible has the answer. God has the answer. It is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. Victory can only be obtained through spiritual means, through spiritual justice and spiritual reparations. I was in Nassau and 2015 in the summer doing a Holy Spirit conference one of our graduates, uh, Valentino Williams, who pastors a church with his wife Cleo, a powerful church, and a lot of the Caribbean was affected by this issue because a lot of that, a lot of the people were brought in to work in agriculture, and so what you have is the same kind of potential. But in that particular ministry, I can tell you this, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me in one of my sessions, and this is what I said. I said, God is saying to people who have been affected generationally by slavery, you're not going to get reparations from a man, but if you'll ask God, God will reward you. God will repay you. And that goes for those that are from the American Indian community. Do you realize if they sued in the Supreme Court, they could possibly win and take back all of Atlanta? But the reality is there's a reparation that comes from a place that is just completely consistent with justice. A spiritual solution, a spiritual victory. That's our God. Amen. When I was in uh, sixth grade in Parrish Elementary School in Carbondale, Illinois, uh, many of the elementary schools were not all that integrated. Uh, things were progressing, but even at that time, uh, there wasn't a lot of integration. And so there was one junior high in the city. And so all these elementary schools from all over town would be going to this particular school, Lincoln Junior High School, for 7th and 8th grade. And can I tell you about that? There were older students, you know, and older kids, and even parents talking about how terrible it's going to be, how horrible it's going to be. White kids are going to be fighting the black kids. Black kids are going to be fighting the white kids. Oh, how terrible, how terrible, how horrible it's going to be. And do you know in two years there, Neither me nor any of my friends ever had a problem with anyone from the black community, nor did they from us. Do you see what I'm talking about? CNN just yesterday changed the color of a black man to a white man to try to influence and incite people. 
literally, de, you know, colorize, decolorize the particular picture. People are doing this on purpose, and stupid people are falling for it all over the nation. White and black, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. We have to understand somebody is trying to push us further down that road to the brink. So we walk in the seventh grade, everyone, the black kids, the white kids, terrorized and just filled with, you know, intimidation about what's going to happen. And the reality is all of us played together. We did sports together. Those were great years for all of us. And you know what? The older students and the parents just could have, should have kept their big blab mouth shut right. because they were lying to us. Right. And I'm telling you today, people are lying to you. Right. I said people are lying to you. You have sin, so it is an issue. But you also have a Savior. You have a Savior who is the solution. Amen? Come on, say it with me. Jesus is my solution. I had a leader at a church that I served one time. I was working on a newsletter, and uh, back then we used within this particular uh, denomination a thing called BANS, B-A-N-S. And BANS was a bulletin and news service. They put all kinds of interesting articles and clip art. Everybody say clip art. Some of you are too young to know what clip art is. You, you literally would clip it and stick it in where you wanted to do a publication, and then you would copy that thing. Then I'm sitting there making this up, and there's going to be a men's breakfast, and so I clip a picture out, and this picture has three men, uh, three ethnicities, and different ages. Uh, there's a white person, there was a Hispanic person, and there was a black person. And I actually had a leader in that church tell me, I can't use that picture because if the blacks started coming to this church, the whites would leave. And I thought to myself, you know what, they need to leave and start with you. (laughs) So I did what any young minister would do. I went ahead and used it. It's real, but that doesn't mean it has to be real in you. You can be the solution. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then I left that place about 15 months later. (laughs) Let me explain to you this way. Racism cannot independently exist in a system, organization, or culture because it is something that exists in the heart. It's only in the organization, in the system, if it's in the heart. Why? Because it's a sin issue. It's only systemic in the sense that sin is universal. Turn to somebody and say, I know you've sinned. Turn to somebody else and say, I know you have sinned. Come on, everybody shout it out. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's systemic. Why? Because some will then take that sin and ignore it, model it, justify it, or encourage some society, community, or group to walk in it. Our job is to search our own hearts, repent if necessary, and challenge others to do the same thing. The sin of racism will be eradicated to the extent that people in those systems, organizations, and cultures recognize the fact and influence one another out of it. Come on, say it. I'm influencing others out of it. To view racism any other way is to be ignorant of sin's power and the remedy for it. A person that is a racist has a sin problem. 
That person needs deliverance. They need a savior, and Jesus is that savior. Amen? Amen. How is it the answer? It's because of what he did for you and me, the love of God demonstrated through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is sin powerful? Yes. Is racism a sin? Yes. The blood's more powerful. Come on, say it with me. Sin, sin. is the issue. Racism is a sin. The blood is more powerful. I'm just, you know, teaching today to show you that we're Christians. We're spiritual people. We should address every problem in life, in society, through the eyes of the Word of God. And don't get distracted by everything else. It's the household of faith that will lead this charge into wholeness and healing. Amen? You know, you may have an opinion on everything, but you don't need to share it. Some people have no Facebook filter at all. Amen? Some of y'all may need to fast it. Moving right along. Number two, search your own heart for any remnant of racism. No one, however, can convict you of racism but the Holy Spirit. He's the one that knows. He's the one you should listen to. And you should be honest with him when he talks to you. If it's there, listen to him and repent of it. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Everything right now is trying to deal with these issues from the outside in. The Holy Spirit goes on the inside where no one else can go and deal with you and deal with others if it's there. Just because you got born again doesn't mean your mind's completely renewed. My brother-in-law, Ben Priest, told this testimony in front of 50,000 bikers at the motorcycle rally at uh, KCM uh, Grounds out in Fort Worth years ago. And he, his testimony was the power of God to bring love into a heart and push all that other evil out. And by his own testimony, he said, I hated blacks, I hated Hispanics. He also said, I hated Yankees. <laughs> now, and I mean hate. We're not talking about dislike somewhat. To Ben, anybody north of Louisiana was a Yankee. And here's his testimony. He also hated cats. Sorry, Jackie. <laughs> this is Ben's testimony, not mine. I'm just relating here. Hallelujah. And so the Lord told him, I want you to go into the heart of New Orleans and I want you to minister and I want you to reach out to the African Americans there and just love on them. And he did. And when he left that city, that seized the ministry, he absolutely loved the black community. And the Lord sent him in to minister to a bunch of Hispanics and and say, I want you to love them and minister to them and give them my word and share the truth of things that have set you free. And after that season of ministry, God put such a passion and a love in his heart for the Hispanic peoples in this world. Then the Lord had you marry my sister, a Yankee. 
That was and still is a work in progress, hallelujah. And the worst part is she came with cats. She sure did. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that loves the Lord and exudes love now. But this is a boy that was taught to be mean. This is a boy that was driven into the outlaw biker world because of wickedness and meanness. And the Lord brought him up out of that. So powerful is that ministry that outlaw leaders around the country actually open up their hearts and lives and clubs to let members of the tribe of Judah share the love of Jesus with them. That's how powerful the transformation. Look at somebody and tell them, it's a spiritual solution. Search your own heart. It's not about somebody else telling you what you are, what you're not. The Holy Spirit is the only person to be completely honest with you. Amen. Hmm. Yankees, cats. Hallelujah. Ben weighed about 300 pounds, six foot five. Tammy probably weighed about 114 pounds soaking wet at that time. They weren't married very long. And Ben's mind wasn't very renewed, so they got into an argument about something. And he said, I'm leaving. He goes towards the door. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just leaving. She stood in the door frame of that door. He come up, tried to push his way through it. She took that bony finger of hers and pat, you know, just pecked him in the chest. We're married, 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 married. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> he got a Yankee with an attitude is what he got. <laughs> and some of y'all have met her sister. <laughs> Praise God. Number three, consciously, and I said consciously, treat all people with dignity and respect. Everyone, everywhere, every day. Come on, shout out loud. Everyone, everywhere, every day, no matter who they are, because that's who we are as believers. Call the love. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Amen. You're a Samaritan. Well, it could be a Jew. Somebody on the other end of the political and cultural spectrum. Love your neighbor. It's not the one who lives next door to you. That's, that's a given. Come on, say it one more time. Everyone. Everyone. Everywhere. Everywhere. Every day. And I tell you what, you practice that, and after a while, yeah. hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. My dad is my hero. He's a great man. Give him a hand clap today. I, I, was, I wanted to, after I got to know a little bit about his story, I never met his dad. He passed on before I was born. But he got him as a little boy, and he told him up front, you will never treat anyone of a different color different than yourself. You will respect every person, and you will not judge somebody by what they look like. Am I clear about that? He also told him, don't ever go down in this coal mine where I work. <laughs> he did once. Notice what I said. He did it once. But uh, 
when he was in college, the Ford dealership in Carbondale, Illinois, hired him. And he started out doing some things. Eventually, he began to sell cars. And one day, this African-American gentleman came in with bib overalls. He was looking for a car to purchase. And the snide and, and selfish and ungodly salesman said, Hey, Art, you take that one, as they snickered. My dad went out there and treated him with the respect that he deserved. Showed him all the cars on, on you know, this side and then the Lincoln Mercury dealership on the other side. And, and that man decided he wanted this brand new Lincoln, I believe the story is. And my dad took him back to the office. Now, how do you want to pay for it? You want a you know, young credit or you want to pay for it, whatever? He said, he said his eyes got big because he pulled out the biggest roll of $100 bills he'd ever seen in his life. And began to count them out and walked out of there with a brand new car paid for with cash. Listen, not being a racist pays. Are you here today? It's not in what somebody says about you. It's actually in your personal heart and in your daily behavior. Amen. You understand this today. Consciously, on purpose, treat everyone, everywhere, every day with dignity and respect. They're made in the image of God. Number four, challenge racial language, behavior, and attitudes, uh, racist language, behavior, and attitudes whenever you witness it. Challenge it. Who? It means you don't find yourself laughing at those stupid jokes. Cultural, ethnic, racial, you don't do it. You're a child of God. It's not funny. And I say, that's right, Pastor Art. When I hear something like that, I just walk away. Here's my challenge. Don't walk away first. Challenge it and then walk away. Amen. Is that God calling, Charlie? <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, challenge it. You see something day by day that's inappropriate. That's when you should use your Christian boldness. And in love, speak the truth. What? In love, but speak the truth. Hallelujah. Paul had a, a friend in the body of Christ that took care of him. You can read about him in the book of Philemon. And Paul ended up in chains. And his friend couldn't be there. But his friend's slave came to serve him. This man's now born again, spirit-filled, on fire for God. And Paul ascended him back to where he comes from. And he says to him, I could order you to do the right thing. But I'm pleading to you as a brother. Do not treat him as a slave. Treat him as a what? As a brother. And the point of the matter is the people of God have the keys here. And they should be using them. You have the authority here. You should be using it. You have the wisdom here. You should be using it. Hallelujah. 
And not only do you call things out as you live every day, everywhere, amen, every person with dignity, you make up your mind to be a blessing. The other day, somebody in this church just felt impressed to take care of a table of African-Americans having their meal. Bless God, never knew who did it, but how you know that was a blessing to people? I heard the same week, there was an African-American young man who, who paid for an entire table of cops to have their meal. Each one stood up, personally shook his hand, hugged him, and thanked him you know, for that generosity. Bless people. Several years ago, Timothy and I were in St. Louis where they used to play baseball. And I believe in God, they will again. But uh, took Timothy there, and we played, and so we went over to the Galleria, which is not too far from where Ferguson is and where the blow-up in St. Louis occurred. But uh, we went there pretty early to go to Cheesecake Factory and drive back home, and I'm sitting there, and, and uh, Timothy's looking at the menu. I'm looking at the menu, and uh, I look over about uh, two rows over. There's only about three or four people total in the restaurant this early, and there's a two beautiful dressed to the nine African-American ladies just having a good old time over there. And they're probably in their late 70s, 80s. You could tell they were good friends. And the Holy Spirit said, take care of their meal and bless them. So the first thing I did was just told that server that uh, don't give them a bill. Give it to me. Make sure if they want cheesecake, whatever it is, they, they get what they want. And I'm like, okay. Uh, everybody say, do what God tells you to do. And so they brought me it. I took care of it. We had our meal. And uh, about that time, one of them said, would you like some cheesecake? And the other one said, yes, I'd like some cheesecake. And uh, so they ordered. And that's when the server said, well, get whatever you want because your meal has already been paid for. And the lady goes, my meal's been paid for. She looked at her friend and said, it's my birthday. She said, not in my entire life has anyone ever bought my meal at a restaurant. Now, does that matter at that moment in time to be a blessing? Yes. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. If you're not careful, you become a panderer when it comes to race. But the way you avoid that is to do what God tells you to do. Bless and curse not. Hallelujah. And I didn't walk up there and say, white man bought your meal. Our job is to do what God tells us to do. But you know that the Lord knew it was her birthday. I said, did Jesus know it was her birthday? And blessed her big time in that moment. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, be conscientious. Challenge. Racist language. Behavior. Attitudes. Wherever you witness it. And be a blessing to others. Come on, we used to get excited about that. Amen. We're faith people, glory to God. Let's, let's be a blessing, hallelujah. Let's really confuse the devil out there. Glory to God. Amen. Everyone, everywhere, every day. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Because you have inside what you need to deal with things like this. Sin, hallelujah. Number five is, is critical. 
You need to be leading people into the grace of God. The only way they will be free, the only way they will treat people appropriately is if they find salvation in Jesus Christ. Lead them into the grace of God. Lead them into a relationship with God. Lead them into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lead them to be a person that immerses themselves in the Word because that Word will completely rewire their thinking. No matter what they were taught growing up, no matter what they were exposed to, the Word will wash the mind, renew the mind, and rewire it so that it lines up with the Word of God. These are the keys here. You immerse so that these you know, blessings begin to strip the heart of all traces of racism. And you also remind yourself by doing so, I'm going to focus on the primary purpose I'm here and not get distracted by everything else. And what a year to get distracted. Huh? <laughs> Years ago, the Lord put in my heart to establish a multi-site church out of Hope Harbor and build churches around the area that didn't have solid word churches. And our, our first uh, you know, foray into that. And we have this wonderful family here because we actually went to Trigg County. Give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, Katie's Trigg County was, you know, the first, uh, you know, target and uh, is now called Word of Hope. It's planted by this church. And uh, in the process of doing ministry over there, Sarah's parents, Jackie and Frank Bozinski, uh, began to minister to a man who was just raised in hate. His dad used to beat him up just on purpose to make him the meanest person around. Uh, the hate was spewed. He was programmed to hate everybody that was different from him. And he eventually came into, uh, you know, a hate group, the KKK, and became an enforcer uh, in Alabama in that organization. And somewhere along the line, if I remember the story right, I think he had some home health care issues and Jackie came across him. When I met this man named Steve, he was now born again and spirit filled because that was the key to his deliverance. That's the power of the local church. Are you here today? That's the power of the local church. I saw not that hate filled man, but a man that was getting his feet spiritually and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there was a season where uh, he was growing and developing and starting to take responsibility for some things in his life. Where he is getting born again and spirit-filled, his old brothers congratulated him by beating him within an inch of his life. But what's so astounding is the, the knowledge firsthand we have of this man's transformation. And then I guess it was Frank or Jackie that recommended that you meet Steve Rodney. And Rodney's going to come and tell you about that encounter. Give him a hand clap if you would. Thank you, sir. Amen. Um, uh, like Pastor said, uh, they, uh, Frank and Jackie ministered to Steve, and uh, so they, they brought him to church here. And, um, you know, I knew about his testimony, but, you know, I, I hadn't talked to him personally. I saw him here a few times, but I hadn't saw him. You know, 
honestly, I was a little bit nervous about meeting him. You know, I really didn't know how he's going to even feel toward me or whatever. But anyway, Frank, uh, Frank talked to me and he said that Steve wants to meet you and he wants to talk with you. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, so we, they set up a meeting for after church one day. And so anyway, we, we met and, you know, I, I figured, I said, well, I was thinking, I was like, he's probably going to want, you know, want me to forgive him for how he's acted. And I thought, you know, I can do that. You know, it's, I, I don't know the guy and, you know, I'm a Christian. So anyway, we met and as we began to talk, he began to cry and tell me, you know, about how God changed his life. And he asked me if I would forgive him for, for the things he did to black people and, and everything. And I thought in my mind, I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. So. Uh, you know, as I went to forgive him, something happened to me. It, it's this anger. I don't even know where it was from. This anger just came up inside of me, and it was something spiritual. And I just felt this rage toward him, and I couldn't forgive him. I just sat there and looked at him, and it was almost like a generational thing. I it just felt like this. I, I can't even describe it. But I just sit there and looked at him with tears in my eyes. And he was looking at me, and I couldn't forgive him. So I just began to look inside, and I was praying to myself. I said, Lord, you know, and, and, and I just felt God speak to me and say, you know, this has to be your choice. But if you, if you try, I'll help you. And so as I tried, I felt the peace of God come over me and the power of God, and I was able to forgive him. And um, so anyway, I forgave him, and we sat there, and we hugged, and we cried like babies for I don't know how long. And, 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 it just, and, and it just felt like the weight of the world just came off of my shoulders at that moment. And it, and it was only through Jesus that did that. And when, uh, when Steve was sent to uh, Vanderbilt, um, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Can you hear me? <laughs> when he went to Vanderbilt, uh, he was in very, very rough shape. And uh, this nurse walks in and says, hello, I'm your charge nurse. And it was a black woman. And he did the same exact thing with her. He said, I want to apologize. And she had the same response that he had. He said, for all the things that I have done, I want to apologize to you on behalf of that community. And right there in that hospital room, even though physically he was in very, very bad shape and wouldn't actually make it much longer on this earth, he walked out of this earth in perfect peace, reconciled with God and man. And that's the power of God. That's the power of God. So I just want to encourage you again. It's a sin issue. And only spiritual remedies will work with sin issues. In terms of your own life, amen. Make sure you follow these simple guidelines. Become spiritually educated. Nothing in the natural is going to work in this situation. Make sure you search your own heart for any remnant. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you and repent if it is there. Let God minister to you in that situation. Conscientiously treat all people with dignity and respect. What? Every day, everywhere, every person. That's the mindset. Challenge racist language, behavior, and attitudes wherever you witness it and be a blessing to others and lead them into the grace of God. You'd be amazed what the power of God can do. I've never seen natural means take care of these issues, but when God truly has met somebody and you know, forgiven them and they've accepted the love of God, it's radical in their transformation. And that's what this nation needs. I said, that's what this nation needs. 
I said, that's what this nation needs. You give the Lord a big hand clap and thank him.